0: We're going to page 826 in the blue Bibles. this is the book of the book of Jonah and uh, if you are new to the Bible the, um, the big numbers are the chapters, smaller numbers are the verses so we're going to go to chapter 1 in, in uh, Jonah this morning. The theme today and, uh, and over the next four weeks is this idea of uh, imagine a city transformed. And what we're doing is we're diving into this, this book of Jonah, this, this story of Jonah. As we imagine what it would look like to see a city transformed, this is where we're going. And what we're realizing, what we're going to realize over our time spent in Jonah is that the city was transformed only when the messenger was transformed. Jonah had to be transformed first. God had to get a hold of Jonah's heart and Jonah's life first before there could be transformation in the city and and I believe that you are here today uh, because you believe that, uh, that that God can do the impossible you believe that God can transform cities the the reason many of you have been journeying with the garden like andrea for for such a time is because we have the audacity to believe that God can do the impossible that, that god can god 's spirit can show up in this neighborhood and and, and, and in our body and, and transform us do a work in us and cause us to love each other in a way that only God can do and then have that love just pour out and and extend into the community around us and into the neighborhoods around us and then throughout the whole city of Baltimore we believe that God can do the impossible amen that's why we're here the question that we're asking today is do you believe that God can transform you do you believe that God can change you? Because sometimes it's so easy to, it's not easy, but we can, we can have the audacity to believe that God can change a city. But sometimes we have more trouble. We have more trouble when it comes to this question, can God change you? Can he take your cold heart of stone and transform it into something as malleable and beautiful and soft and moving toward him? Our primary work as a church, like we don't, we, we're not building a church on, on the fact that we have like an awesome building. You know, we, I mean like, we, we don't do tours of our church building. Uh, we could, maybe we should, I don't know. Like this is our historic, it's been here for what, 40 years? This is our historic <laughs> church building. You know, we're not building on the fact that we've got a great space or we're not building ourselves on the fact that we have flashy, awesome programs we're building ourselves, this is what's driving us is, is, is uh, this gospel of Jesus Christ which transforms our hearts and moves us in a way that we would normally uh, not otherwise move, in a way to love one another, in a way to interact and love the city around us. And so, so we are here to be transformed as individuals and then as a community and then to dream, have the audacity to dream of transformation in the city as a whole. Um, this story that we're going to dive into is a, an amazing, fantastic story of, of a uh, rebellious prophet who is running from God the opposite direction. He's uh, out to sea. The waves crash all around him, and and he's thrown, he's tossed into the water. Kind of scary. And then a fish comes along and swallows him, and he survives inside the fish for three days. And then the fish spits him up on dry land. He goes and preaches to the city, and the entire city is transformed. Like, can you think of a story that is more fantastic than that? That that is bigger than that. Um, and the wild thing is that it's true. Uh, it, it, it's not just a fantastic story, but it's it's a true story. One theologian said that myths don't have zip zip codes. So if you study ancient literature, this is not written as a myth. It's, it's, there's, there's concrete places that are that are given. It's, it's written as as a factual event, store a story of things that actually took place and happened. Most likely it's written as a memoir by Jonah himself. Jesus actually spoke of Jonah as a historic figure. Uh, Jesus, Jonah is the one and only prophet that Jesus ever compared his own life, life to, which is interesting to me. Um, we're gonna see those comparisons as we go through the series of, of how Jonah and Jesus, uh, their, their stories and their missions have, have many parallels. I, I wonder, Jonah, Jonah lived in Gath Heifer, which is uh, near Nazareth. It's just north of Nazareth where Jesus grew up. It's, it's only about a half hour walk from Nazareth. And so I wonder as a child, like did Jesus walk to Geth- Heifer and, and see maybe the tomb of Joseph and, and maybe even read, read the story of Jonah right there in his hometown and, and, and uh, just contemplated it and marinated in it and thought about it. And, and maybe it was even in those, those moments that Jesus began to see the parallels of Jonah's story. And Jesus' own calling, his own mission, his own life work. The God who raises the dead, the God who opens the eyes of the blind and, and uh, heals, heals the, the, the crippled, that God um, has preserved the life of a rebellious prophet in the belly of a whale and has transformed a city. And we have the privilege this morning, of diving into it and, uh, and asking God what it is that He has for us today. So, are you with me? Can I get a woo? woo! All right. Let's pray and then we're going to dive in. God, we do uh, believe that you can do the impossible and we, we're going to see it here in this story in this book of Jonah. And we ask that you do the impossible in our, uh, in our own lives, beginning with our hearts, transform our hearts. Awaken us to a new love, to a new way, a, a new way of thinking. Draw us to repentance. I ask that that as we we do uh, dive into the verses here that we're going to find in, in the book of Jonah. That uh, that it's not my words which are communicating, but it's your spirit that's moving through us and in our hearts. I pray that. Um, uh, we won't hear my voice today, but we hear your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Jonah, chapter 1, page 826 in the Blue Bibles. And let's, let's carefully read together verses 1 and 2. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Jonah lived during the time of King Jeroboam II. Why don't you all say that? King Jeroboam II. He, uh, in 2 Kings 14, you can read more about it. He had a 41-year reign in Israel, a very long reign for this king. During his 41 years, Israel expanded and grew like never before. So, um, for those of you who are uh, new to the faith and and checking things out, let's remember that Israel was God's chosen people. And they literally lived in a land, in a country. And their borders, they saw their borders as God's borders. And, And so their borders now, over 41 years, have expanded... They've become a more powerful nation, which is a good thing. Israel has never seen uh, more, uh, a more prosperous time than this. No king after Solomon had, had, had more power than, than, than uh, Jeroboam II. And as, as they grew, as, as they became more uh, prosperous, as they had more wealth, as they had more opportunity, um, they had more power. Often with power comes what? Sin. Not always power is not a bad thing. But often uh, uh, with with power it opens people up it opens up lives and hearts to greed to become self-focused. Amos later prophesied about this entire generation, Jonah's generation, saying that they were the the most sinful of all, they they were completely consumed with greed, that they were completely consumed with self-indulgence, and the temptation now for Jonah or anybody, if you were living in the land of Israel at the time, the temptation would be to relax, it would be to be comfortable the temptation would, would be apathy. Like, God is for us. We can see that God is doing great things in our land. We can see that our borders have expanded and we've become more powerful. God's given us influence. God is doing some amazing things in us and through us. And your I, the irony is that your view of God's love then narrows. Because it's it's more about us. It's more about our borders. If you could imagine... A circle right here, and I should have had my big piece of paper up here, my pad, but I don't. Uh, if you can imagine a circle right here, God's love is in our borders. And as those borders expand, the view of God's love expands because, man, we must be doing something that's great. And the temptation is to, get, it's to, it's to relax. It's to enjoy the national security, prosperity. It's to enjoy the comforts that come with it. It's to just simply live the good life. That's, this, is, this is the time, this is the era, this is the culture that Jonah is being called out of. To go to a land called Nineveh, which is described as being a wicked place. Um, it, Nineveh is the capital of the Assyrian Empire, outside of the borders, outside of, of uh, the, the nation of Israel, where God's uh, presence is known and experienced. It's outside of that. It's somewhere out there. And in their mind, somewhere out there are the heathen. And uh, they, they, they're, they're beyond us. They're, 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 they're beyond our borders. They're beyond, beyond our care. And God calls them to go to Nineveh, a place of 120,000 people. It says later on in Jonah, it says they don't know their right hand from their left. I mean, they're just completely, they have no clue who God is. They're, they're a city living completely outside of, of the experience of the creator, the, the, the God that created this earth, that put them on this earth. They're living with no knowledge of him at all, described as wicked. They don't know the right hand from their left. They don't think of him. They don't follow him. They don't care for the things that God cares for. They're probably consumed with injustice. And to the horror of Jonah, God's love extends to the city. God calls Jonah out of this land, uh, out of their borders, out of the land where God's presence is being known and enjoyed and and cherished and where they're flourishing. He's calling out of them to this city where there's heathen people. Like, they're, they're... (laughs) What? Like, I can only imagine the conversation that God had with Jonah as he's called to preach against the city. Like, God comes and says hey I want you to go to Nineveh and Jonah just is like huh what why and God says they're sinful and Jonah says okay so why do you want me to go there like I know they're sinful of course they're sinful they're heathen they're outside of us they're outside of our borders there's some people out there they're not in here so of course they're sinful. You, so why do you want me to go there? Like it didn't make sense to them in their culture that God would call them from Israel to go to Nineveh and to preach to people who are far off from God. It doesn't, doesn't make sense to them that God's love would actually extend to those people. And it's amazing to me how, how often I'll hear somebody say, you know, like we, we might be doing... Um, a, uh, some sort of Bible discussion or, or some, some way that we're going to try to engage people who who are far from God and they'll say, well, um, uh, I, I'm, no, I can't invite that person because they're an atheist. Or no, I'm not going to invite them because they're, they're Muslim. Or I'm not going to invite them because they're an agnostic or whatever. And, and then all of a sudden we start to, to slide and we call it, you know, being just like cool and, and uh, we don't want to like Jump into anybody's territory. If you're an atheist, that's cool. But what we slide into is the same kind of thinking that Jonah had. Like, we've got God. We're cool. We, we, we have our faith. We're, we're pretty confident in it. And the people out there, well, they're just out there. And, and it's not really possible that God's love would extend to them in the same way that God's love extends to you. We slowly, subtly start to believe that in weird kind of ways. Read verse 3 with me. Uh, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, I want to show you a map, if we've got the map here, uh, to give you an idea of just how far Tarshish is um, from Nineveh. Do we have the map? Is that a, is that a possible thing? Oh, just the, just the first one, and then we'll kind of click through. Sorry, I'm confusing my poor guy. All right, so there's Gath, Gath Heifer, um, where Jonah lived in, in Israel. Israel is kind of like this. These are sort of the borders right about there. I should have actually drawn the borders around Israel. And Je- Jonah is called to Nineveh, and so we're going to put Nineveh on the map there. You see Nineveh up in the far corner. That's where Nineveh is. All right, now keep that in mind. We're going to zoom out a little bit. Or actually, we're going to drop down to Joppa. So there we go. So he went to Joppa. He was like, I am not going to Nineveh. That doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, Those people are outside of God's love. They're outside of his care. And I'm not going there because I'm comfortable here. And I'm just frankly a little upset that you would even call me there. And so he flees south to Joppa, which is a small port town. And he boards a boat. He's, He's thinking, I want to go to Tarshish. He boards a boat heading to Tarshish. And I want to give you an idea of where Tarshish is. So we have to zoom out a little bit. And so that's the Mediterranean Sea. (laughs) Hold up. We're not even there yet. That's the Mediterranean Sea. We're going to zoom out again. We're still traveling to the Mediterranean Sea. We're going to zoom out one more time. And there's Tarshish. (laughs) It is like at the end of the world for them. This is the Atlantic Ocean right here, which at the time was considered an unknown sea. So in Jonah's mind, he's thinking, I am getting the heck out of here. I'm going to the end of the world. I'm fleeing as far as I can possibly flee. I'm running to Tarshish, and I'm going to hang out on the Atlantic and sip sangrias all day, and life is going to be good because I won't be in Nineveh. And I'll be out of Israel, but at least I'm not in Nineveh. Tarshish is better than Nineveh. And so Jonah boards this boat. The brother runs uh, and, and um, he, he removes himself now from the presence of the Lord. The, the ESV, it translates it, that jo- uh, Jonah, did I say Joseph? I feel like I just said Joseph. No, in my head. I did. Um, Jonah ran, in the ESV, it translates it, from the presence of the Lord, which brings up an interesting question, doesn't it? Jonah ran from the presence of the Lord. So often I hear statements such as, "I don't ever like really pray, or read my Bible. Um, I don't, I don't ever really gather for worship with the church. Um, I just kind of like, I just kind of like live my life. But God and I are cool. Like we're good. Like when I need Him, I'm always there. He's always there for me, and, and I can always like kind of talk to Him when we're there. Which is just another way of saying." I can do whatever I want to do. I can choose to live however I want to live. I can think however I want to think. I can use my resources and my time. However I want to use my resources and my time. And when I need God, I can just turn to him and boom. He's my genie. He's there for me. He's always there whenever I need him. Really? Really? Look at verse 4. Did any of you notice during the reading earlier today that at this moment, Jonah doesn't call on his God? Like they actually ask him, like, call on your God um, because we're going to die. And so everybody just call on your, if you have a God, call on, and they turn to Jonah, call on your God too, man, because we're going to die. And by the way, who's sending the waves? God, all right. Does Jonah call on his God? To save him. He doesn't. It's not even even an option. Jonah has removed himself. From that experiential presence of God. He's removed himself from that revealed will of God. Now theologically. Is God still there? Right? Like. Theologically omnipresent. It's an aspect of God. Which means God is is everywhere. God is there. Who's messing with the water? It's God. He's, he's there. Um, David in the Psalms gets it, nails it in Psalm 139 when he says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. Uh, if I make my bed in the depths, you're there. I cannot run away from you. God is everywhere. He is there. As Brother Lawrence says, God is nearer to us than we are aware. But with the firm assurance of God, God's omnipotence, that God is there, David also in the Psalms, in Psalm 51, cries, Do not cast me from your presence. So yes, God is there, and no, he's not. Do not cast me from your presence, God. Even though you're everywhere, don't let me lose your presence. Terry Virgo Put it, said it right when he said, he said, uh, just because God is there doesn't mean that God is present. And we, we, can all ex- we, we can all resonate with this. Like, we've known people who are there, but not present. My wife t- tells me that all the time. Like, Joel, you're here, but you're not present. Like, I want you to be present. And so God is no longer present in Jonah's life. He has removed himself from the presence of God. And so while God is there and he's kind of doing like this and messing with the water, Jonah's beyond his experiential presence he's broken communion with god and there's no point in him even trying to pray and ask god to calm the waters so he can continue on to, to tarshish like jonah you may have been running from god you may have boarded a boat to tarshish and you have turned your heart away from the creator Maybe God has called you to something that you can't take. Called you to love in a way that you can't take. Or maybe, maybe it's it's more of a subconscious thing that's happened with you. Like maybe there's never intentionally, consciously been a turning on your part. But all through the Bible we see this image of God's people turning to him. Turning our face to him, turning our hearts to him, the the very idea of repentance literally means changing direction. And so repentance means you're walking this way and you stop and you change your direction and you turn toward God. That's repentance. And so then what we begin to think through now is is, everything that is not turning toward God is running from God. Every aspect of your heart that is not turning toward God is in all reality running from God. Apathy is running from God. Not caring about the things that God cares for. Not having God's heart. Choosing to be your own savior. Choosing to do things that make yourself feel better as opposed to turning to God. Apathy is, is actually in all reality boarding the boat to Tarshish and getting the heck out of here. And you think of crying out. And you can't. Like Jonah, you, you, you can't. You try to pray and it's just like, man, like I don't even feel connected anymore. There's there's like nothing there. I don't feel like I even have a relationship anymore the the biggest lesson i think our culture as a whole needs to learn is that god is not just always there as our homeboy whenever we need to turn to him and get out of a sticky problem like it very possibly could be that 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 god is is not in or that you are not in communion with god and that in fact you're you're under his wrath and the waves are crashing all around you and they're about to consume you and you cannot call out and you're utterly hopeless You have have nothing left, and Tarshish is not what you thought it was going to be. This is not the life that you thought it was going to be when you started heading this direction. Look at verse 8. So they asked him, tell us who is responsible for making all all this trouble for us. What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. And I don't think, by the way, Jonah was like preaching here. I think this was like a, a, a humble admission. I worship the Lord. Yeah, I, I worship the creator. The guy, yeah, the, who, who, that, that controls all of this. Yeah. I worship him. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he, he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to make the sea, or what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Then he says this, pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that this is my fault, that this great storm has come upon you. Do you not think that Jonah had high hopes for Tarshish. When he boarded that boat, we know he never made it there, and he moved that direction, do you not think that that he had high hopes? Not going to Nineveh, going that direction, sangrias, the Atlantic Ocean, Spain, good food. And now, in, in this moment, as the waves are crashing, the boat's starting to break apart. They're freaking out. It's not looking good. He understands now that he is not going to make it to Tarshish. It's not going to be what he thought it was going to be. But he cannot go back to Nineveh either. He can't go back. And so in this miserable state, when they literally, they ask him, what do you want us to do? It's his decision Like, give us a suggestion. You know, like maybe a prayer meeting or something. I don't know. Maybe some fasting. Like, what? What should we do? His answer that he comes up with is, "Kill me. Just toss me into the water." And this isn't like Jonah's like thinking of some like great formula. Ah, if I'm tossed into the water, then it's going to all calm down, and you guys are going to be cool. Uh, He just wants to die. He's not going to make it to Tarshish. He can't go back. He can't turn back to God. And so in this state of delusion, he says, just throw me into the water. Just throw me overboard. Toss me into the waves. Toss me into the sea. This should have been the end for Jonah. Verse 15, they took him and threw him overboard and the raging sea grew calm. This should have been been the end. This should have been it. We should not not have this book. Jonah or, or whoever should never have written it. Because this, I mean, this should be the end. If the impossible were not possible, this should be the end right here. Jonah died. A miserable, failed, rebellious prophet who ran from the Lord and he died in a storm. That should be the end. Verse 17, but the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. Wow, God was not finished with Jonah. And I don't think God's finished with you either. In the midst of the delusion, in the midst of the confusion, in the midst of not knowing whether you should go this way or that, and now you can't do either and you'd rather just die, God is not finished with you yet. What we're seeing here, what we're going to see unraveled in Jonah and what we're seeing here in this first part is this amazing, unparalleled love of God, which is seen in very surprising ways. Some surprising aspects of God's love. There's two of them that that I want to point out that I think we've already seen. One, God's love is seen when he calls Jonah to preach against Nineveh. Now, we typically don't think of preaching against as love, right? Like, who likes the term preach against? Raise your hand if you would like somebody to preach against you, and I will just start in. Just raise your hand. Like, nobody, like, we don't define that as love. We might define that as harsh. We might define it, best case scenario, as truth. But we're not going to define it as, like, love. Oh, man, you're so loving, like, if I came and preached against you and I was like, listen, you got to like wake up. Like You are completely living a destructive lifestyle. You are outside of the realm of God. You're not experiencing his presence. I know you think you are, but you're not, and you need to turn to God. You would be like, I don't, I don't think you would be like, wow, Joel is such a loving person. Like, I just love being around him. <laughs> so loving. You know, you might be like, dang, dude is harsh. Or, wow, I am not going back there anymore. Um, But think about it, like Nineveh is outside of the borders of God's love. They're out there. Nineveh is is a city that, that is completely living outside of the love of God, yet God loves them anyway. And God wants to redeem them and restore them and draw them back into this beautiful, unparalleled relationship with him forever and ever and ever. And so God sends a prophet to preach against them and tell them you are living outside of God's way. And, and God loves you and he wants you to turn back to him. Like that is love. And then we also see God's love toward Jonah as God sends a storm and Jonah's tossed out of the boat. We want a God who will let us board the boat to Tarshish and then as the storm comes, as we're running and the storm comes, we want a God who we can turn to and say, oh gosh, I'm having some problems. God, I need you to help me out here, calm the storm, save my life. And then we want God to calm the storm for us so we can continue on the Tarshish. Right? Like, isn't that the kind of God that we want? We want a God that will let us run. We want a God that will let us do whatever we want to do and then when we have a problem come up and we got some issues, we want God to just kind of fix them for us so we can continue on the Tarshish. And we say say that that's love. See, here's the thing. When most people say, define God as love, they say God is love, right? Pretty popular statement. I mean, all across uh, uh, faiths and denominations, etc., and even secular people, God is love, common popular statement. What most people mean by that is this. My definition of love is God. So the way I define love, when I I go to my church on Sunday and when I'm worshiping God, I'm worshiping my definition of love. It actually can become idolatry because we are not allowing God to define love for us. We have defined love and then we've placed that on God. My definition of love, therefore, is God. And so I would define love as allowing somebody freedom to do what they want to do. If they want to run from what God wants to board the boat to Tarshish, and to go, then, then love would say let them go. Right? That's not how God defines love. And so we see God's love in some surprising ways here. As God sends some problems into Jonah's life. Sends some waves into Jonah's life. And now he's tossed into the sea. But then this is the extraordinary aspect of God's love. He sends a fish. He's not going to let him die. It's not, he's not done with Jonah. Actually, he has something far better than, for the, uh, Jonah than Tarshish would ever be. And God sends a rescuer, a fish, to swallow him up. And to pr- preserve his life, you, you may be resonating to some degree with Jonah as, as we 're reading and as we 're talking today. maybe you 've experienced this kind of separation you 've experienced this kind of loss you 've experienced the lack of communion with god you 've experienced the turning of your heart and the, 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 you've experienced your heart growing cold and hard and, and the, you, you don't care for the things that God cares for anymore. Don't assume that you have a relationship with God. Don't assume that you are in communion with God. It's very possible that you're not. It's very possible that you have no connection with God. And you, and, and you cry out and, and it doesn't seem that he's there to you. Jesus saw parallels between Jonah's story and Jonah's life and his own work, his own mission. As Jonah experienced the loss of God's presence, Jonah experienced this, this place where life is now miserable and he can't even cry out to God anymore. As Jonah experienced that, Jesus experienced it that much more. As Jesus who was divine, was God, became human for us, hung on the cross. He cried out, the Bible says, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In this cosmic moment as the father turned his head from the son because your sin because your running was all placed upon him and the father couldn't look at that anymore. And in that moment, he turns his head from the son, and the wrath of God is poured out on Christ. Jesus knew this to an infinite degree. The 18th century theologian John Gill wrote it this way. He says, our sin and separation has caused the Father to hide His face from His own Son, whilst He was bearing and suffering for the sins of His people. The condescending grace of Christ is here to be seen, that He who was the Word, that, uh, that was with God from everlasting, and His only begotten Son that lay in His bosom, that He should descend from heaven by the assumption of human nature, and be for a while forsaken by God to bring us near Him. You have run from God. You're, you're, uh, you, you have rebelled. You have turned your, your heart, you've turned your mind away from the things of God. And though you've been ignoring his presence, through Christ God has sought you and has found you. See, Jonah experienced the loss of God's presence because of his own rebellion. Jesus experienced the loss of the Father's presence because of your rebellion. Jesus lived the one life. that, In, in perfect communion with God. Never any interruption. The, he lived the life that you and I should have lived. That we haven't lived. We have not lived that kind of life. I have lived a life of brokenness. In my relationship with God. And Jesus came and on the cross my running, my brokenness, my separation from God was all placed onto Christ and God's wrath was poured upon him for me to, dr- to draw me back to God, to draw you back to God. And you've been running and, and you can't look to God anymore. You can't even pray anymore. And the, it is now the time, it's, the moment is here for you to turn to Christ who has turned to God on your behalf. He has lived that unbroken presence uh, with God that you could, could never live. And so you turn to Christ and you accept that beautiful gift of, of, of life, of, of connection with God, of salvation and entered into this, this everlasting life with, with the Father which will, which will last forever and ever and ever. Jesus bore your sins on the cross. He bore your running, your apathy on the cross and he has absorbed every bit of God's wrath and we now can have life. We can experience the presence of God, the creator through the son, Jesus Christ. Is there someone here who resonates with Jonah? You've uh, you've been running. Your heart has grown cold. Maybe for you it's never been necessarily intentional. You've never, you've never intentionally said, I am boarding a ship and I'm leaving. I'm running from God. Uh, but it's this place of apathy. It's this place of, of just simply not really caring for the things of God. Not really caring for God's way. For not, not, not seeking the face of Jesus. And, and you can see some parallels in your own life with this story, with this life of Jonah. And it's time for you to stop this direction and move this direction. It's time to walk away from the apathy and say, I am going to intentionally just pursue the face of Christ. And th- th- this is the thing, and I want to make this clear. It's not about like giving something up. It's not about giving up some time to go to church on Sunday. It's not about giving up money or giving up uh, resources. It's about giving God your heart. It's about taking your heart and saying, I'm no longer going to be my own savior and I am giving my heart to Christ. He is my one hope. He is my savior. In him I find redemption. And it's time to turn back to God. Now maybe you resonate more with Nineveh and that you have never experienced God's presence. You've never experienced God's movement and love in your life. And as a matter of fact, this is all very odd to you. This is weird. It's like, it's foreign to you. It's almost like you're hearing some things for the first time. And it's strange. And even though it's a tough message you recognize that like as it was for Nineveh who is far away from God and outside of his borders that this is actually in all reality a message of love that God has found you and has consumed you and has paid the price for you and wants you wants to love you wants you to love him there's a story an old story of a a tribe in Africa who uh, always saw God as this lion that they were chasing and, and there was a missionary that went to them and and they told him that, that God is like this lion and that they're always chasing this uh, this this lion, quote unquote. And, uh, but, but they can never find him. They, they almost find him. He's almost there. He's just around the corner. And then they, they move there and he's gone. So that, that was their view of God. And so the, the missionary talked to them about the lion of Judah and and this beautiful message of the gospel that God has actually come in the flesh and has redeemed us and has found us. And they studied it, they looked at it, and then as an entire tribe, they came to to the missionary and they said that we have been searching for God, this lion, we've never been able to find him. He's he's always been out there. And what we realized is that the lion has been searching for us, and that the lion has found us, and that the lion has consumed us, and we are now his. That is the gospel. And that is the message that I want you to get, is that it's not about what you do. It's not about your works. It's not about doing doing nice things. It's not about even trying to do something to change the city. It's about recognizing, first and foremost, that you have been made right with God through Jesus Christ's blood on the cross. That is the gospel. That is the core. That is what drives this church. And maybe you need to pray, God, even though I've been far off from you, even though I've been running, or even though I've never, even, I've never heard these things. This is foreign to me. You have sought me. You have loved me. You have consumed me. And I believe that Jesus died for my sins, and I'm embracing that gift of salvation. I'm embracing the cross. I'm embracing his blood on my life. I take it. Let's pray. God, it is not by... Our works, which you have saved us, it is according to your grace alone. The reason you loved Nineveh wasn't because they were a good people, uh, but because you have enormous love and mercy. You kept Jonah, not because of his obedience, but because of your grace. And we embrace that love today. We ask that you transform our hearts through to our actions so we may become a transformed people who love one another in a brand new way and who love the city in a whole new way. And We model and we preach your love to this city. And God, we ask that we then see transformation take place all around us in every neighborhood, in the whole city, and in the whole world. We pray. And all God's people said, Amen.